don't you just love a passage that's entitled, Repent or Perish? Remind me to thank Nicola for that one later when she's back from holiday. It's a strange parable, isn't it? It's a strange little story. It kind of almost comes out of nowhere. You know, Jesus says, then he tells this parable. This strange little story about a fig tree that doesn't bear any fruit or, you know, is about to get hacked down because it's useless. And, and he kind of leaves it on a cliffhanger. He doesn't answer, you know, what happens to the fig tree? Does it get cut down? Does it not get cut down? He leaves it open-ended. But I get ahead of myself. We should probably start at the beginning of the parish, shouldn't we? And it starts with a then. And we know that when there's a then in the Bible, we should probably look at what happened before it. So let's have a quick look at what's just happened. Immediately before the parable, Jesus is informed uh, that a load of Gal- group of Galileans in the temple have been cut down. They've been killed. They've been murdered. And in verse 2 of chapter 13, Jesus responds to hearing this news. Do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. And then he follows up this response to hearing this news with this strange parable about a fig tree. Let's first look at Jesus' response to the news that he has just heard. Verse 2. Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners? And then verse 4. Do you think they were more guilty? There is at least an unspoken assumption from those bringing this news flash that these calamities, these atrocities were the result of the sin of those people. And that assumption is if you have a good life, if you live a good life, then you'll get a good life. If you obey God, keep his commandments, if you pray, then God will answer your prayers. He will be faithful. He will look after you. He will keep you safe. But if you find yourself suffering bad consequences and constantly being hammered from every single side, then it probably means that you're not living the good life, that you are doing something wrong, that you are living in sin, that you've got unconfessed sin in your life. And these consequences, these things that are happening to you are punishment from God for living a bad, sinful life. So to be on the receiving end of an atrocity in the temple meant that these Galileans must have been pretty bad sinners, right? Before we kind of write that off as a, as a kind of a prehistoric worldview, a view that has died out, let's just 
think about how that might apply here and today. Because I think we'll find that that concept, although expressed probably slightly differently, is prevalent in society. So many self-help gurus suggest that you don't get what you want in life, but you do get what you deserve. And beyond that, how many times have we heard someone say something like he had it coming to him or she was asking for it? You get what you deserve. It's effectively saying the same thing, isn't it? That, you know, if we work hard, if we're a nice person, if we treat others well, then we will be rewarded for it. We will get the good life. But if we don't, if we're horrible, if we treat others badly, then when calamity comes, we've brought it on ourselves. If our businesses are doing well, it's because we've worked hard that we've applied ourselves effectively. If things are good at home, it means it's because we're a good parent. If our dog is well trained and seems to behave, it's because we're a good dog trainer. We are constantly bombarded with the thought that if life is good, if life is sweet, it must be because we are doing something right. And let's be honest, that's kind of a nice thought, isn't it? If we actually think about it, we like to take a bit of credit. We like to think that we have got something to do with the success that we find in our lives that we are in some way responsible for it. But on the flip side, when things are start going bad, when, when things are tough, when we're hit by setback after setback and trials set in, we begin to wonder if maybe this is because we are doing something wrong. As the classic 90s Travis Top 10 puts it, why does it always rain on me? Was it because I lied when I was 17? Don't you love a bit of 90s pop culture? It's amazing. Maybe that's just my upbringing and childhood. But okay. It seems that just as much as we like to take a bit of credit for the good times, we like to take a bit of credit for the bad times. It's what I deserve. I'm not living right. I'm being punished for something. But Jesus' response cuts straight through this misconception, this mistaken belief. I tell you no, he says in verse 3. And again, verse 5, I tell you no. No, those Galileans were not killed by Pilate's soldiers in the temple as some enactment of God's punishment for their sin. Just as the calamity of the tower collapsing on those Jerusalemites, that wasn't because of their sin. Jesus can't make the point any clearer. Do you think people suffer when calamity happens, that, that this is payback for their sin? No. No, it's not. Look at John 9, for example. The disciples question Jesus when they, they find a, meet a blind man and, and they say, is this the sin of 
his parents or is it his sin that has made him blind? And Jesus says, no, it's not his sin or his parents' sin for the reason why that man is blind. Or look at the story of Job. Job was hem-pressed on every single side. He had pretty much everything taken away from him. And he has three friends and they come to him and they sit with him and they say, Job, Job, what have you done wrong? What have you done to upset God so badly? Repent, repent of what you've done and, and then God will bless your life again. But God gets so angry with those three friends. He gets so angry with them. He says, my anger burns against you for you have spoken of me what is not right. Do you think those Gentiles brutally murdered in the temple were worse sinners? Do you think those Jerusalemites crushed by the tower that they were worse sinners? I tell you, no. It's not perhaps the most comforting passage, I'm going to be honest. For anyone who's going through a tough time, this is probably not the passage to go to. But perhaps there is some comfort in the fact that when tragedy does strike, it's not God's doing. But Jesus doesn't stop at no. He continues. He says, but unless you repent, you will perish. Doesn't that sound contradictory? He said, it's not because of your sin that these people have perished. It's not because of their sin, but you do need to repent. Surely you need to repent because it is your sin. Doesn't that sound odd? Doesn't that kind of not work? Well, to help us understand what Jesus is saying, he tells a parable. And we finally get to our passage that we had read this morning. In the parable, there is a fig tree of fruit-bearing age, but it's never produced any figs. In the time of Jesus, fig trees were often planted in vineyards alongside the grapes, alongside the vines, and they were planted in precious soil. Soil, land was incredibly precious. So an unfruitful tree could not be allowed to use up space absorb the nutrients that could be used for a fertile, a, a fruitful tree. The solution is simple, right? Chop it down and plant something else that will bear fruit. Sounds harsh? Well, not, not really, because a fig tree has one job. It has one job in life. It's got one goal, one aim. It is to sit there in a field day and night and grow figs. That is all it is good for. It's not even good for climbing up, let's be honest, right? A fig tree has one job, produce figs. So if it can't even do that, then it's no good at all. It is utterly useless. It deserves the chop. Remember, you don't get what you want in life, but you get what you deserve, right? And that's what the fig tree deserves. It deserves to be chopped down. 
And in fact, there were lots of other stories doing the rounds as Jesus was telling this story of his own. There were lots of stories similar to this one about a tree that was unfruitful. And what happens in each of those stories? The tree gets chopped down. But that's not the end of Jesus' story. Sir, the gardener replies, leave it alone for one more year. Give it one more year, one more chance. I'll dig some fertilizer around it. I'll invest in that fig tree. And if it bears fruit, then great. If not, I'll chop it down. The fig tree is given one more chance. It isn't given what it deserves. And more than this, more than one more chance, the gardener invests in it. It's given an extra portion of fertilizer. It's given every single possibility to thrive, to do what it was supposed to do in the first place and grow sweet, succulent figs. And scholars have interpreted this passage in different ways. Jesus, perhaps, is the the owner and Israel is the tree. Jesus is coming to seek repentance. But so far in his ministry, very few have, have repented. Or perhaps God is the owner and Jesus is the gardener. And Jesus is desperately seeking to nourish the tree, to put life into the tree. That when judgment comes, they may be safe. Either fit the parable well. But scholars also say that this parable can be used as a metaphor, yielding, excuse the pun, um, a same, the similar point. In the same way the tree deserves to be chopped down because it is unfruitful, so do we. No one, not one, bar Jesus, have lived lives that are worthy. We have all lived lives that deserve calamity. The simple fact is that actually those Galileans at the temple, those Jerusalem lights underneath the tower, they kind of deserved calamity. But they were no worse sinners. Because sin isn't kind of counted up. You can't say, well, that's a worse sin than that that sin. There's not a, that's a 10-point sin and that's a 20-point sin. Sin is sin. Sin separates us from God, separates us from the Father. And no matter how big or small we perceive sin to be, the penalty is the same. It is destruction. And we are all guilty of that. We are all guilty of sin and we are all deserving of destruction. God owes us literally nothing. But just look around a second. Just, just look at your neighbor. Have you noticed something? We don't 
get what we deserve. I mean, it has been known, and this might come as a shock to you, has been known from time to time that I have sinned. Yes, even a curate can sin. And the last time I checked, I have not been destroyed. I mean, often I have put my friendships, my possessions, my time, myself, my, the list could go on and on in God's place in my life. But God has not destroyed me. God has not let calamity befall me, justified as that may be. The thing about God is that day in, day out, time and time again, he chooses not to give us what we deserve. We deserve nothing, but God is far more loving, far more patient, far more gracious than we could ever believe or imagine. Thank God those self-help gurus have got it wrong, right? Thank God that we are not given what we deserve. I'd love to see a self-help guru who kind of understands this kind of kingdom thing. I'd love to see what their kind of podcast would be. It'd be something like life to the max. You don't get what you want or what you deserve. Incredibly motivational, I'm sure. But here comes a warning. Like the fig tree that produced no fruit, but was given a second chance, one more year, so have we been given a second chance. A chance to bear fruit, bear the fruit that God wants us to bear in our lives. And what is this fruit? Well, it's the fruit of repentance. I'm sure we're all familiar with the concept of repentance that, you know, is something like this. When I've done something wrong, when, I've, when I know I've sinned, when I know I've done something terrible, I need to go and say sorry. We're all probably familiar with that idea of repentance. And, and that's good. And we, we definitely need to say sorry when we do stuff that we realize is wrong. But actually, repentance is more than that. Repentance is acknowledging that we freely choose to allow other things to take God's place in our lives. That we give power and authority that should be only given to God, to people to stuff, to ourselves. We allow other things to crowd out God so that other things become number one. And repentance is the turning away from those things and turning back to God, putting God back in his rightful place in our lives, giving him the value that only he deserves. See, God does not treat us as we deserve, but he does long and want to be in his rightful place. And when we are, and when we turn back to God, when we turn back to him and make him number one in our lives, 
then we bear fruit. We bear fruit of the kingdom. And repentance is how we can do that. It is through turning back, through repenting, through turning to Jesus again and saying, Jesus, I, I'm sorry. Be number one again in my life. That we see God do the most amazing things. Remember who Jesus is speaking to in this parable. He's speaking to those who have not had calamity fall upon them. They, were not, they have not suffered at the hands of Pilate. And they come to him and, and, and perhaps they have a little bit of self-righteousness. Perhaps they are slightly self-righteous. They thought, well, I'm a little bit better off, aren't I? Maybe I'm a bit more holy. Maybe I'm less sinful. That's why I'm still here. Not at all. Their righteousness is totally misplaced. They were guilty, just as everybody else is, and in need of repentance. They need not trust in their lack of misfortune as righteousness gained, but need to turn back to God, because he is where our righteousness is found. And when judgment comes... And the parable makes it pretty clear that judgment will come. The fig tree isn't let off judgment. It's only delayed for one more year. So judgment will come. And they too, the crowd, they will be judged. But if they place their trust in Jesus, if they turn to him, if they repent, then they will be saved. God does not treat us as we deserve. And when we repent, God becomes God in our lives again. I mean, our very existence, the air that we breathe, is a total gift of God's grace. It's outrageous. Everything that we have is a gift of God's grace. And repentance reminds us that it is not by our own credit, not by our own resourcefulness or cunning and skill that we are here today, but because God is good and because he will forgive us and he does forgive us. If business is going well, it's time to turn back to God. If things at home are great, it's time to turn to God. If things are hard and challenging, it's time to turn to God. So that in our lives, he may remain number one. He may remain in that his rightful place, whatever the circumstances. And Jesus, it is because of Jesus that we can be assured of this. The, the only man who has ever lived, who truly deserved a good life, was not given 
what he deserved. He deserved a crown of gold, more beautiful, more precious than any human hands have made before. But he was given a crown of thorns that cut into his head. He deserved a throne more majestic, bigger and greater than any throne ever sat upon. But he was given a wooden cross, a cross where he was crucified. But that wooden cross became his throne. Upon it, he exposed human evil. He allowed it to do its worst. And then three days later, he overcame it, defeating sin and evil. It's because Jesus has exposed and defeated sin and evil in the world that when we turn back to him, when we turn back to him, we know that he wipes the slate clean. He clears away any barrier between us and the Father. And we may enjoy the fullness of a restored relationship with God the Father. A relationship where we can produce fruit. And it's in the light of the gospel that repentance needn't feel like beating ourselves up until we feel forgiven. It's, it's a joyous act of turning away from things that kind of distort the world. It's a joyous act of turning back to God and saying, God, come and be number one. Come and be number one in my life again. Restore me, make me whole, so that I may be fruitful. God doesn't treat us as we deserve. He doesn't punish us that way but calls us to a life, maybe a lifestyle of repentance, of turning back to him in good times, turning back to him in tough times, so that our motives, our actions, our attitudes may be constantly aligned with him, so that we may bear fruit. And after all, fruit is sweet, right? And a ripe frig, fig is incredibly sweet and succulent. The fruit of repentance sweetens you and me. I don't know how you come this morning, whether you feel guilty uh, for something that you have done. Well, perhaps this morning Jesus wants to say, come and hand that over to me. You don't need to feel guilty about that anymore. Come and turn to me. And I will take that guilt from you. I will take it away from you that you may bear fruit. Let me sweeten you. Maybe you just want to say, actually, I've allowed other things to crowd you out, Jesus. Come and be number one again. Maybe you've never said that. Maybe you want for the first time to say, Jesus, 
come and be Lord. Come and take your rightful place in my life. If either any of those things ring true for you this morning, we would love to pray with you. I think the band will come back up and they will uh, lead us in some worship. But if any of those things, if you, if you want to say sorry for anything, if you want to come back to Jesus, to know his sweet mercy, his sweet grace in our lives, then do come. Someone would love to pray with you. I would love to pray with you over here. Amen.